Welcome back, everybody. David Griscom here with Left Reckoning. Um, we're really excited. Matt and I are just, you know, coming back from our trip to Los Angeles, California. We had a really wonderful time. Thanks, everyone who showed up. Um, and we wanted to take the opportunity um, to speak uh, with somebody who actually was uh, made an appearance at the show um, in Los Angeles and who's running for office in California for California Assembly District 65, uh, Fatima Iqbal Subair. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on Left Reckoning. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff to get into. Um, so let's let's dive in. I mean, um, just briefly up front, you know, could you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? You know, um, what your background is and what really made you feel like you needed to throw your hat in this ring to run for office? Yeah, yeah. I think for me, you know, what you know, honestly, the first thing I think about, uh, not just saying this because it's a left show, but um, it was the Bernie Sanders movement. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, him running in 2016, I think even like, you know, when his first run inspired a lot of us to even be like, what is government supposed to do for me? What is the role of special interest, right? We didn't know this person, right, before, but I think he, he started the dialogue and it shows that even when he didn't win, I mean, look how many the countless races he's inspiring and the, you know, just the, uh, just sort of the um, movement he's, you know, yeah, he's inspired. Um, but the other part um, of it was that kind of intersected with me working in Watts. Um, and so I really saw the things we talked about. Um, you know, is, is, the, is the sound okay? Because I can tell my staff to like. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's fine. It's okay, fine. Okay, I want to make sure because I, I don't think they know I'm on the podcast. Okay. It's but, lively. I mean, you know, it's a real, it's a humming campaign. It's actually like bumbling campaign office. Okay, good. That's a, <laughs> okay, good. I just want to make sure. Yeah, so um, yeah, so working in Watts as a teacher really brought a lot of those issues like to head, right? Um, you know, talking about class inequity, talking about racial disparities, talking about redlining, um, over policing, um, environmental injustice. I saw all of it sort of, um, you know, in Watts. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of it, uh, you know, we know the educational equity, we know that the system is made um, to suppress folks, right, in schooling, um, in housing, and everything. But, you know, when you experience it, it's, it's really like, it makes you angry, especially when you fall in love with the community that you're working in. Um, uh, but it was seeing a lot of those, you know, inequities, but then also seeing that, you know, in California, in the richest state, in LA, one of the richest cities, we have lead pipes, we have contaminated water, which we have at our school. Uh, we have, you know, I mean, lead levels that are way higher than the EPA says is healthy happening here in LA in so many communities. I mean, that's what led me to organize. Um, and just long story short, um, I was actually appointed commissioner, you know, funny story by my current opponent to try to sort of make a change uh, to, to be one of the community leaders, actually. I don't think he wanted to think I was in it to make a change, you know, mm -hmm. but pretty soon after I saw that he was basically in the pockets of big oil, of speculators and developers of the police. Um, and that's what his voting record showed. And I mean, I think that's the story of why the outside inside and the inside inside outside game is so important because these folks that have a lot of power have the power to either destroy your life right mm. um and have it have you fight for even survival in your communities um or they have the power to build systems to help you thrive and succeed and i think that's what led me to run is i want to be the latter like i want to be part of the movement that's helping folks not just survive but also thrive yeah i mean um you know LA, I think people who aren't familiar with it, you know, they might have a certain uh, opinion of what the politics are like there. But, you know, there's a real need for for people who want to be more rooted in like working class politics and particular things um, about workers' rights and affordability. I mean, 
Could you give folks a sense of like what the district is like that you're running in and also what it is that, you know, you're running on that is going to be motivating people to show up and vote for you? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question, especially with Zero TV. <laughs> now that's something I definitely am trying to pitch every single day. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, for us um, at the doors, um, what we're telling people and the vision for the server providing, let me start with like something as simple as housing, which is, mm-hmm. you know, should I believe be decommodified and be a human right and not be based on, you know, market um, and things that you can afford, right? A home, which should be a right. And this is not just a thing, right, Dave? Um, we can actually decommodify housing. For example, um, a bill that I support is social housing at the state level. You know, Assembly Member Alex Lee, the one uh, Democratic Socialist site elected there, introduced the bill. It, it obviously got killed, I believe, in the Senate committees, but it's because they don't have enough corporate free mm-hmm. progressives out there who believe in this vision of decommodifying housing. Um, so, for example, social housing, right, which is actually on one of our mailers to, you know, because we're presenting ourselves as a candidate who will lead on transformative solutions to housing is one, one thing that's not really being actively pursued by enough legislators at the state level. And what that would really do is say, basically establish housing as a human right. One thing we have to know in our state of California is that uh, you know, uh, we pay the most of not just uh, you know, any state, but any nation on housing, whether it's in rent or mortgage. Um, and typically it's 50%, people are making 50, 60% of their paycheck um, it's definitely over a third, uh, you know, as the average, which is ridiculous. With social housing, you can ha- you can pay, uh, you know, less than ten percent, right, uh, of your income, and, and all of the other income is spent on your family, on, you know, honestly, on yourself, on vacations if you want to, you know, on um, on your big other other needs, um, and that's the way it should be, right? This life shouldn't be about living paycheck to paycheck. It should be about who has the wealth and where is the wealth. How how do we redistribute it? So that our government can provide housing as a right, can provide education as a right. And I just talked about one example, but we can decommodify a, a lot of, um, you know, of, of the, of the uh, things right now in our society that aren't. And a perfect example, another example of that is healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. Healthcare right now is also a commodity and a privilege to have. Um, in my district, particularly, there's places where about 30% don't have access to healthcare, even under Medi-Cal and even under the expanded Medi-Cal that California passed. We don't need health for all, like Governor Houston is touting, and it passes great. It's an it's a it's an expansion, but it's still leaving people out. It's leaving too many out. So you know, single payer healthcare is something that we need, and it would guarantee healthcare as a right. And I, I say this because my opponent and a lot of corporate folks say these are fine as high ideas, but they're actually not. There's actually policy mm-hmm. paths to get there. There's ways to pay for it, um, and we are not just folks that are spouting you know hashtags. Um, there's actual pathways to get there, and Part of the reason so many of us that believe in this want to run and want to win is that we can't wait to do the work to actually Mm -hmm. get us to a society and to a state where folks can actually thrive. So, uh, like, just on the, stay on the healthcare for just a second. I mean, you know, there's a lot of models and plans for how we can we can achieve it. And California is in a position, you know, being like a a, a larger state that you know there are pushes for you know a state level uh, Medicare for all system. Is that something that that you're pushing for, or do you think that we need to be fighting on the federal level to to make that happen? No, hundred percent. I I not that I'm like, fighting for it. I'm pushing for it. I I was doing it. I'm a current you know delegate in the party on the executive board. I'm on the board of the Progressive Caucus. I even had meetings with my opponent, um, you know, my role as delegate, bottom constituents, wanted him to vote yes on it. Um, you know, I lived in the first province, uh, Saskatchewan in Canada, that had a mm-hmm. uh, single, that had universal health care. That's how Canada did it. And I believe that's how we need to do it in the U.S. Uh, Ro Khanna, you know, uh, 
who Justin Norris has talked about it. He said this is much going to be much easier to achieve on a state by state basis um, because of the federal waiver, right? Um, that Newsom can ask Biden will will pay for, I believe, almost a third of it, and then the rest of it we need to pay, you know, by taxing the very wealthy, right, or by reallocating budget uh, our budget uh, to away from prisons and uh, things that are honestly wasteful spending and into you know rights like healthcare and housing. Um, so I'm a big proponent of passing it at the state level. I would be like a lead co-author on it if I was up there. I mean, on the outside now, I've been pushing for it, uh, pushing my opponent, pushing others. I know DSALA also did an active effort in my district to get the word out. It unfortunately didn't work because my opponent takes so much money from Big Pharma, so much money from the private insurance industry, and it is really a pay-to-play system. And it's sad, honestly, Dave, because um, healthcare inequities affect people of color the most, the low, folks that are lower income the most, and that is our district, you know? Um, and so he would be honestly really lauded and really liked if he, in my district, if he supported it. So it just tells me that he's really in the pockets and he really likes those kickbacks or likes whatever he's getting from it or the next position or the leadership position or what have you more than people in his district, you know, more than he even wants his constituents to respect him. And that to me, I don't know, it's kind of out of this world. It doesn't make sense, but. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is, it is always amazing sometimes when you, you see the slam dunks that are, that are missed. Right. Um, by some established members of the Democratic Party. Um, but I mean, b- before we get on, this is like a, a very broad question, but you, you said something um, earlier that sort of struck me when you're talking about, um, you know, social housing and people being able to spend money, not only on just things like feeding their themselves, but also maybe going on a vacation. And I like that a lot because oftentimes, particularly in the Democratic Party, whenever we talk about social programs, there's a punitive you know, aspect right. to it as well, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, you can't, you know, yeah, this it has to be very austere and we've got to make sure that nobody's going to be getting something that is going to be improving their lives in, a, in the sense of like just being able to have more leisure. And like, you know, if, if you could, um, you know, expand on that a little bit and maybe talk about like, you know, what, what your vision is, you know, for like a more just future than the one that, that we, that we have right now. And the one that is even put up by, I think a lot of people who we're friendly with, but on the progressive side who, you know, there's a lot of caveats sometimes attached to these programs. Yeah. I, you know, I don't believe in like, you know, um, I feel like the role of government should be to get to that stage, to give you the short answer. I'll explain what that means. It should be to be able to, you know, not just make sure folks can survive, which is, I think, what we're doing now. In fact, we're trying to pass policies to help people, you know, maybe barely get there, or even if, mm-hmm. if they would get there and then survive and be able to have a home and have health care. I don't think that's the way we should be looking at government. It should be um, what essential rights should a human being have simply for being human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of that, yes, is like, you know, as human beings, like we, we should have you know, expendable income, right? Um, to spend on on things. And right now in our in our society, like in our in our in our current government, at, at least in America, we don't. We see the model applied in, in Europe and stuff like that. When you see the happiest countries, I mean, I, you know, not that I believe everything, you know, <laughs> when you see that, it's, it's in and, and you see those countries and who they are, right? And at least whatever governments they have, it's countries that provide universal childcare, right? They sometimes have the four, a four-day work week. Um, they have um, uh, uh, parental leave. They have um, healthcare as a right. College is free or almost free. They have social housing. I mean, so like um, that's the way it should be. And and, and you know, I think the irony is that like we have the most money in the state of any other state in our country. The U.S. has the most money of any other country. 
that we are stealing from the working class and bringing that money to the very wealthy. So it's, it's an extremely immoral, inhumane system. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of that changed when, you know, like after the 70s, when we saw corporations lobbying um, mm-hmm. and giving their money to politicians, right? Um, when we saw Reagan, right? Lower taxes on the wealthy, right? These were tangible data points and things that happened. And we saw the working class you know, really struggle. We saw the middle class shrink. We see, we saw homelessness increase. So we need to get back, right, to a government where we are taxing the wealthy, right, at a really high rate, right, the top 1% of the 1%, where, where we are, uh, honestly, overturning Citizens United. But even on a state level, we can limit foreign contributions. We can get public financing of elections. There are things we can do to root out these corrupt, corrupt influences. And I know that when we do, um, we will have that sort of vision and it's not going to you know happen overnight it's not but um and that's why when you know i i as a teacher i'm very humbled when people are inspired by our race right but Mm -hmm. i always say it's not just going to be me alone we need Mm -hmm. folks at every level of government um we need more folks in the state legislature and that's why one of the policies that you know i talk about that's you know even beyond housing and environmental justice i have a policy on my website called people over profits right and it's really talking about the underlying issue of money in politics of in California, how we can still expand the right to vote. For example, I believe we should expand the right to vote for undocumented residents in local elections for those in prison. Um, I believe that, you know, young people should be able to vote in school board elections and other local elections, things like that. There are things that we could do to really make sure people have the power over corporate profits. Um, And that I think is essential to getting, you know, a lot of uh, these issues like like housing, healthcare, education, as human rights. Well, you know, talking about um, corporate power, I mean, um, I think people might not know the the kind of power that the oil industry has in Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, if, if, if you could talk about that a little bit, and I mean, like, I know when we talk about climate, we're talking about a lot of different things, but, you know, if you could talk a little bit about the oil industry there and, you know, what you're running on, on, on the environmental side, I mean, California really is, you know, just similar to Texas right now, I think in a major struggle, um, you know, one with climate change and then two with making sure that we have electric systems that are able to provide people with power and don't blow up, um, you know, and, and all these kind of things. And I think it's really important for us as a movement to be cognizant of the of, of the responsibility that we're going to have potentially coming into power to manage these systems so they're working better for working people. But um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so 100%. And one thing, honestly, Texas did better than us is they had a buffer zone between drilling and sens- you know sensitive areas before California did. We just passed that this year. So I want people to start with that because honestly, California, with the resources we have, should have done so much more uh, for a just transition than they are doing. Um, but yeah, it is, it's so important. I mean, part of the reason I even decided to run against a big oil Democrat and not wait till the seat was open in 2026 is because we're already behind on acting on climate change, on environmental justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to transition sooner. You know, something, a conversation I think that's important to have is that like, um, we pass all the, we passed some, some great bills this time, like the buffer zone bill, but our state agencies got really low scores in terms of implementing. So I'm concerned that will this be implemented at the municipal local level? And I think that's the pressure too, that like, you know, I would apply as an assembly person that my opponent might not won't apply, right? Because mm-hmm. the pockets of big oil. So I think that's important too, to do the hard work after bills are passed to make sure things get implemented. But yeah, um, California is definitely um, in the pockets of 
um, big oil. I mean, in so many ways. I mean, I you know, as a delegate, we were fighting to get the private side of the party to stop taking oil money and to not endorse anyone who takes oil money because it is so influential. The top three donors at the state level are real estate, big oil, and police, right? So mm -hmm. it's one of the top contributors to pockets of Democrats. Um, and, um, you know, it, yeah, just, we simply have to stop that, first of all. We have to, I, I think once we say the party's not going to endorse people that take this money, mm -hmm. that is the root of the issue. Because we have a lot of great bills introduced by great climate organizations and, you know, progressives up there, but they just don't always pass and they're not implemented if they do pass so i think that's the root of it um what we need to do more of is i believe in like you know also other solutions besides looking at transition just transition for oil yes we need to do that and mm -hmm. build a green new economy but also looking at public transit right um looking at how we plan our cities looking at our infrastructure i mean if you look at south la folks that come to canvas down to our district say there's like no bike lanes, like there's no really public transit or, or, or way that kind of stops at a certain point when you go to low-income communities. That's also related to the pollution, right? When you have more cars and freeways around certain communities, um, that's really bad. And so I think we need to look at this from a transit perspective too. Um, yeah, it, which is really, really important. I think we need, this is also a housing issue, right? I mean, when we think about, are we building housing, really uh, planning it near to where people are working and living? you know, where kids go to school or, or are we causing people to have these long commutes, you know, so they're, you know, having to um, be on the freeway, right, for long sort of um, periods of time and and, um, and and that too. And another thing is, honestly, the biggest contributor, you know, is, is a military industrial complex, right? So we got to look at mm -hmm. how much we're, uh, you know, funding our wars because that's, that's also, you know, bad and, you um, and contributing to climate change. So we have to honestly put that much effort that we put in the military industrial complex and transition, transfer that energy and all the innovation to solving climate change. Like there just needs to be a fundamental shift in our government where our focus is. Um, and, mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and, you know, obviously, look, is it better with a Democratic presidency and Newsom as opposed to a Republican governor? Yes. But honestly, we are in still in a downward spiral unless we act with much more urgency. Yeah. I mean, you won't get any arguments from me on that. Um, I mean, so there's, there's, there's a lot of issues that we're just unfortunately not going to be able to, to get to. People should be sure to uh, check out um, Fatima's website, FatimaForAssembly.com. We'll have links below. Um, but in the last couple of minutes, I did want to talk about something that's important to us here on, on Left Reckoning. And that's the role between you yourself um, as a candidate and this larger movement, and most particularly um, the DSA. So mm -hmm. I would just, um, I want to ask you two questions up top. Um, what your relationship is with the DSA, and do you consider yourself to be a democratic socialist? Yes. Yeah, so the first, I'll ask the second one first. So yes, I, I mm -hmm. do consider myself to be a democratic socialist. Um, and second, my relationship with DSA is, you know, our campaign is endorsed by them, uh, by the National and the LA branch, and we're really proud of that endorsement. Um, you know, I think it's a powerful space to, for class solidarity, for rate, you know, class, I was going to class solidarity, let me start there. There has been some criticism with, you know, the um, amount of, like, you know, black folks and people of color, uh, you know, kind of in mm -hmm. DSA. But, like, I was kind of telling you before we started the interview, Dave, I think we have to be productive in those discussions. Um, you know, so something I'm doing is that. I'm part of the South Central DSA branch is kind of underdeveloped right now. So I'm going to take on like some of the membership um, activation uh, roles and stuff like that. And that I think is productive, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, so yes, we can acknowledge the ways organizations have to grow, but that does not mean the organization is not still powerful and important and needed. 
right? Especially when we have so much crises, right? In mm -hmm. our communities and in our, in our right now, um, we need places where people can organize. And, you know, like, I mean, honestly, the vast majority of DSA members are great people and they're doing great work and they're doing it for the right reasons. And so I think we need to focus on that and, fo and focus on also like productive ways that we can improve the or an organization, any organization, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's a campaign like mine, whether it's DSA, whether it's Sunrise, whether it's even organizations in my district can always improve, right? Um, but it's our job to, you know, be productive and not sort of do something to get more Twitter followers or likes or take advantage of a situation and not go an organization in an unproductive way because that doesn't go an organization. Um, a lot of the folks that want to help should have conversations with DSA leadership, with me, with anyone, um, and we can come up with plans moving forward together, right? Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what I wanted to say on that. I'm happy to answer any follow-up questions as well. Yeah, no, I mean, for, for me, it's just one of those things where at the end of the day, like having the the deep rootedness and the representation across, you know, working class communities in this country is like, well, that's what winning looks like. And we're in a point right now where we're trying to build and we want to get there. But there's a way of acknowledging where we're not hitting our marks like we'd like to. Um, yeah. And then there's a being demobilizing. Right. And I think there's a big difference between people who mm -hmm. criticize these organizations sort of with the intention to get people to drop out and to not participate versus people who are saying, hey, here, there, here's some issues. Let's try to do something yeah. about it. I mean, um, one thing I'll say real quick is that, I mean, we saw the movement DSA has been able to have in New York. I think the New York yeah. State legislature has much more democratic socialists than we do. The city council, I think, is getting packed with folks that are democratic socialists. And it's not about just that title or that label. It's because these folks are passing transformative policies. And when you build mm -hmm. a majority, you're able to really have real class solidarity and, and really get these policies passed. And I think that is what we should focus on and remember uh, the value of having an organization that's doing the work and putting boots on the ground. Um, it's important. I, I, I definitely agree. Well, um, everyone, uh, we'll have, we have links below um, for ways that you could check out the website, potentially get involved. Is there anything um, that you might want to direct our listeners to, to be checking out who might live in the area and might want to get involved or yeah. uh, make sure that they're showing up yeah. to vote and all that? Yeah, the main thing is, let me just talk about, I didn't talk on this interview where my district, uh, you know, boundaries are. So the mm -hmm. main thing is like vote, ballots are out right now, right? So our district runs north uh, from Watts all the way down to San Pedro, parts of San Pedro, east to Carson, and then west to um, the Harbor Gateway and like West Carson area. So if you live anywhere in, in, within those boundaries or in those cities, um, please, yeah, vote before November 8th. It's so easy because you get a ballot in your mailbox. And I always tell people also, they like knock LA, DSALA. There's great guides because especially for young people, it's mm -hmm. kind of um, the ballot's overwhelming. It's still overwhelming for me, and I'm like an older millennial, right? So it's like um, I can understand. <laughs> and the largest voting block in many districts, I'm sure not just mine, is younger people actually. So get out and vote. Um, you know, either whether you're in my district or not, just make sure you turn the ballot and you vote. And you know, I know our campaign and a lot of progressive campaigns have good sharing voter guides to make it easy for you on our social media. So my social media is like Fatima for Assembly. On Twitter, it's the number four. On um, Instagram, the word four. And um, the other ways to get involved on my website, sign up to Canvas and uh, Phonebank. You can do it on my website. You go to the Get Involved page and donate. If you have grassroots dollars, anywhere from one, two, three dollars to a hundred, it doesn't matter. Whatever you can do, please, please support because uh, we want to maintain our momentum with our field program, especially. Um, and we can only do that if we raise the money. So please support if you can. Well, um, I really do appreciate uh, you coming on. It was great uh, being able to meet you in person uh, last weekend. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it.